Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we are thankful for the privilege that we have to gather together corporately and worship you in truth and spirit. We thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, but you put a desire in our heart to confess our sins and to repent and to look to Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. We thank you, Father, that you continue to work in our life to grow us in grace and make us more like Christ. We pray, Father, that even as we continue to study this passage this morning, that we would have a better understanding of what it means to grow in grace and to be sanctified and to do good works that are pleasing in your sight. Pray, Father, that you would work in the lives of those who are unconverted. We know that unless your spirit comes, that no one can see the kingdom of God. So we pray, Father, that your spirit would open eyes to understand what it means to be born again, that he would change hearts, that he would make those who are lost new creatures. We pray, Father, for our sister churches throughout the world as they gather as well to worship you this day, that many would be brought into your kingdom. Pray for those, Father, who gather together in places of danger. Protect them and watch over them and use them to bring honor and glory to your name. We pray, Father, for those unable to be with us this day. You know their reasons and needs, and we pray that you'd work in those situations so that they might be able to join us soon and worship with us. All of this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn again with me to Galatians chapter 6, and we will read verses 7 through 10 again. Galatians chapter 6, beginning verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not, find, if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now we've already looked at verses 7 and 8, and the warning that Paul gives that we must not think that we can spend our life on fleshly things and then expect to reap spiritual harvest. There's, there's many people that have that mindset. They think that they can live a worldly life all of their life, and then they expect to reap a spiritual harvest. It does not work that way is what Paul is saying. Paul says, whatever you sow, you shall reap. So therefore, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap a great harvest, which also is eternal life, he says there. That is kingdom law. And he says earlier, do not be deceived, for God is not mocked. In other words, he said, God's word is true. It's not going to change. 
Don't mock God. Don't expect that you can live a fleshly life and reap spiritual things. So sowing to the Spirit reveals what? Sowing to the Spirit reveals that you have everlasting life. Sowing to the Spirit reveals that you've been born again. And therefore, that's why you sow to the Spirit. He isn't saying that you must work for your salvation, but he's saying that if you are saved, it will be evident. What's the evidence? The evidence is that you're sowing to the Spirit. Now, understanding this is very important for us as Christians because there's so many who claim to be Christians that don't understand this truth and don't live this truth out. Now, the reason for that is because they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand what Christ has done to save his people from their sin. This was very evident this past week during the crusade. Sad to say, the gospel was not preached. I wish I could stand here and say the gospel was preached, but the gospel was not preached, folks. There was testimony shared. Now, I love to hear testimonies of God's work in a person's life and how he saves a person. Testimonies are often used to stir up people emotionally. And I hear how God saves a person, but yet that is not the gospel. The gospel must be preached for people to be saved. Now, these testimonies shared the sinfulness of these individuals that shared the testimonies, and that was truly sad. It shows how sin can destroy a person's life and brings about death. Matter of fact, it caused me to be very thankful that I lived in a home where I had two parents that loved the Lord and loved us and tried to teach us truth and did everything they could for us, spiritually speaking. And children that are here, you need to thank God that you have parents that are concerned about your soul. You need to thank God that you have parents that have you here in church. You might not like being here in church, but I'm glad they have you in church. Because it's through the preaching of the word that God may be pleased to save you. And you need to thank God that God has given you parents that care for you, care enough to have you here. They want you to hear the gospel. They want to hear you to hear the story of Christ and who Christ is. And as the scripture says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And he speaks of his death, burial, and resurrection when he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And we must proclaim the gospel because the gospel is what brings about salvation. I shared with the men who met yesterday at men's breakfast and book study uh, this morning, a sermon by Vody Balcom, What is the Gospel? Uh, if you go online to Sermon Audio, you can listen to it. A wonderful sermon about the gospel. We need to understand the gospel so that we can explain to others what the gospel is. You know, a few weeks ago, I preached on the gospel. Go back and listen to those sermons. But it's said that many people don't understand the gospel. Now, Paul points out that those who are saved, those who have been changed by the gospel, give evidence. And what is that evidence? Well, they bring forth spiritual fruit. He taught that in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which they bring forth in their life there when he says they're evident, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against there is no law. So spiritual life is that which brings forth these fruit. And it's completely different from a fleshly life. And a fleshly life also brings forth fruit. He tells us of that in verse 20 or beginning in verse 19. He says, their evidence also. Listen to how different they are from the fruit of the Spirit. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, Dissension, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalry, and the like, of which I tell you as I did before, as I just told you before in times past, that those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see that the flesh and the spirit are completely opposite from one another. In other words, you can recognize a person who is a fleshy person, and you can recognize a person who is a spiritual person. We need to understand that. Now, that's the foundation for the verses that come next, which we will look at this morning. This morning, I want us to focus on the three do's. Do good, do not grow weary, and do time. Those are the three do's. First, do good there in verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now what is this good that we are to do? All Christians are to do good, he tells us. Well, speaking of our spiritual labor as Christians, our loving God and our loving ourselves, our loving our neighbor as ourselves in serving, ministering, and worshiping. Now we know that we are saved by grace, all by grace, and not anything that we do. Everything pertaining to our salvation as far as being converted is all by grace. Even our sanctification is by grace. And Paul states that we are saved unto good works. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is an exhortation to all Christians, not just some. All Christians are given this exhortation to be good examples to others. And therefore, we are to look for opportunities to do good to others. That's our duty. Our duty is to do good. And we do that good by walking in the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit bringing forth in our life. And Paul exhorts us to this serious perseverance in all things. And he directs us both as an object and a rule of it. We are not, confined our, we are not to confine our charity and our benevolence too narrow. That's how the Jews did. And Jesus rebuked the Jews. In other words, the only people they were concerned was their fellow Jew and not all of their fellow Jews. Those who, of course, they could use for their own selfish reasons. We should be ready to extend to all whom God providentially brings into our path. And we have a special obligation to who? Well, he tells us there in verse 10, 
a special obligation to the household of faith. So those within the local body, but yet also were to go beyond that. Now Jesus taught us this truth in John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that what? That you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do we exemplify our faith? How do we do our good works? By loving one another. And it proves that we are disciples of Jesus. So they're keeping this commandment in doing good to others. And it reveals that we have a changed heart. It displays to, uh, to others that we love God, we love the Father, and we love Christ, and we're seeking to please Him, and that the Spirit of God dwells in us. And Jesus also said in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 45, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man who builds a house, dug it deep, dug it deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the streams broke against the house and could not shake it because he had built it well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, where the streams broke against it and immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. So he gives us these two examples of one building on a solid rock and one building on sand. And when the difficulties came, it fell apart. The one built on the sand, the one built on the foundation stood. And he Started that with what? Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? Jesus has told us what to do, and that is to love one another, to do good to one another. The Apostle James also speaks of this in James chapter 2, the stepbrother of Jesus, and he says, beginning there in verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says... He has faith and does not have works. Can faith save him? If a brother is naked and destitute of daily food, and one says to him, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give him the things which he needs, how does that profit? But thus also it says, If he does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I'll show you, and I have works. I'll show you my faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. You hear what he's saying? Faith without works is dead. In other words, our faith reveals itself through its works. Now, works don't earn us salvation. Works is evident of salvation. I don't know how many times I've said that over the past years of my ministry, and, and hopefully you don't misunderstand, and you shouldn't misunderstand. If you misunderstand, it's your fault, not my fault, because I've stated clearly before that our works are a result of salvation. They don't save us. And then Paul is saying the same thing in this particular passage. We are to be like God who does good works for all. I've mentioned before common grace 
and special grace. God has common grace on all mankind by simply allowing them to live and enjoy His beautiful creation. But He also has a special grace on His own. I mean, is this not true even in our own families? We are to be kind to all mankind, but who are we especially kind to? We're especially kind to our own family, right? Why? Because they're our family and we love them and we care for them. See, the rule which we are to follow is doing good to others when we have opportunity, which implies what? Well, obviously, while we're here on this earth, that's, that's the opportunity. Our opportunity is from the time that we are converted to the time that we are dead. That is the season we are capable of doing good to others. So in other words, our entire lifetime that God gives us, we must not neglect this duty. In our book study yesterday, Vody mentioned about General Colin Powell, who retired at the age of 70 or 67 from the Bush administration saying that he wanted to spend more time with his family. And we discussed that. I mean, to spend more time with his family was years earlier when his two children were younger. That's when he should have been spending more time with them, not at 67 years old. And some fathers tried to atone for their past sins of neglecting their family by saying, well, I'll leave them a decent inheritance that I've earned as I've done all this work all my life so that they'll be able to enjoy those things. Well, that doesn't change what has already been done as far as the harm. I'm reminded of the song written back in the 60s, The Cat in the Cradle. Listen to the words. My child arrived just the other day. He came into the world the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away and was talking before I knew it as he grew. He said, I'm going to be like you, Dad. I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you come home, Dad... I don't know when, but when we get together then, you know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come, let's play. Can't you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do, he said. That's okay. He walked away, but he smiled with a grin, and he said, I'm going to be just like him. Yeah, I'm going to be just like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue, and the man in the moon. When you're going to come home, Dad? Don't know when, but we'll get together then. Don't know, we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like his man, I just have to say. Son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit and talk a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, and so on and so on. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just yesterday. He said, I'd like to see you. Don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, but I can't find time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu. But it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. 
it's been sure nice talking to you. And I hung up the phone and it occurred to me, he's grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. See, the dad lost the opportunity and the son had become just like him. You young men that are here who have children, let that sink into your mind. Spend time with your children while they're young. Spend time with them all of their life. Show them that you love them and do good to them. The best thing that you can do for them is to be like Christ and love them as Christ has loved you. None of us can be sure of what opportunities tomorrow will come in the future. We must do today the good things that God would have us to do as long as He gives us breath, especially to our loved ones. We must be ready to improve every opportunity that God gives us. Don't be content in having done some good in the past, but look for new occasions to embrace them for the glory of God. See, there are times that you may think, does my family, church, boss, friend realize how much I do and think I'm going to let someone else do it? I'm tired. They don't appreciate it anyway. But no doubt, we can often be discouraged. And we may ask the question, why am I doing this good for others? See, if we're doing this good to simply please self, to bring honor and glory to self, that's the wrong reason. See, the reason we must do this good is to please our Heavenly Father because He's put a desire in our heart to please Him. Providentially, God has given us all these opportunities to be useful. He expects us to use the talents and the gifts that He has given Him to bring honor and glory to His name. We will all have to give an account of what we have done with God, what God has given us in this life. He gives us gifts and He gives us talents, talents to use for His glory. We see that in the parable of the talents, don't we? Remember He gave one man five, one three, and one one. And one with five, He did wonderful things. And the one with three did wonderful things. But the one with one went and hid His. And remember what happened when the Master came? And found out what the one with one talent did. These words were said by Christ. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you don't know where that place is, well that place is eternal hell. Because this guy had not used what God had given him use. He had no desire which revealed that he had never been truly converted. Matthew Henry says, whenever God gives us an opportunity of being useful to others, He expects we should improve it according to our capacity and our ability. So we must improve it just as the Master expected those servants to improve the talents that God or He had given them. Now we also have need of godly wisdom and discernment to direct our charity and our benevolence. We are not to be foolish 
Sad to say that there are many frauds in this particular world that we live in who will seek to take advantage. They will seek to do everything in their power to uh, pervert the truth. They will seek to, uh, seek to cause you to think that they're on the up and up when they aren't. We are to be good stewards of what God has given us. We are to be wise. We are to help those in need. And yet there is a difference in some people's lives. There's other times that I know that I have been conned by con artists. Today, especially with social media, you have to be very wise. Don't allow such people to keep you from doing good in the ways that I've already mentioned. So therefore, do good, as he said. Second, it says, do not grow weary in doing good. So Paul exhorts believers to not grow weary in spiritual labor. It was interesting, I pulled up this morning to just see what this said about us who preach this to people. And I think it's a pretty bad example. Listen to what a recent study of a Christian organization showed about pastors struggling with burnout in unprecedented level. It says that 1,500 1,500 pastors every month resign. Unreal. Stated a number of reasons why they resign. And one is burnout. He goes on in the article and he says, The percentage of pastors who have considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year sits at 42%. This sharp rise first saw an increase in November 2021 with the number of pastors reported that they were considering resigning up to 9% 9 points from January 2021. Younger pastors are particularly affected by burnout. The study said that 46% of pastors under the age of 45 say that they are considering quitting full-time ministry compared to 43% of pastors and 45 of older pastors. How sad that is, that pastors would consider quitting because of the difficulties that they face. They should have considered that, first of all, before they entered it in the ministry. When God calls us to the ministry, God also gives us the backbone for the ministry. He gives us the perseverance for the ministry. Those who burn out, as they said here, evidently they weren't truly called of the Lord. There's a lot of pastors that are mama pastors. You know what I mean by mama pastor, don't you? It's where the mama said, you ought to be a pastor. And they say, well, that sounds good. I think I'll try being a pastor. Well, if you're a mama pastor, you're going to burn out. I guarantee it. You've got to be a called of God to be a pastor. But not only are pastors to be faithful, members are also to be faithful. Pastors are set an example before the ministers. We realize that the temptation to grow weary in doing well is there. We are all inclined to this weariness. I heard of a husband telling his wife, I don't want to go to church today. I'm tired of the people staring at me, not listening to me, not appreciating me, not being friendly to me. I'm tired of being nice and not being respected. And, and the wife turned to him and said, but honey, who's going to preach if you don't go? 
Well, my wife, thank goodness, has never had to say that to me. We are all apt to grow weary, to be tired in our duty and fall away from doing it. Particularly, the Paul points out this special regard of doing good to others. Sometimes it's difficult to do good to others, especially when those others don't do good to you. But he encourages us to be careful and watchful and guard ourselves against growing weary. At the beginning of the Christian life, we often have a great eagerness. If you can remember that when you came to Christ first, you had a great love for God, a great love for your neighbor, and you were excited as a new believer. You wanted to be involved in everything. I remember a pastor years ago shared with me of his conversion experience when he was in college, and he, and he went to a local church and joined that local church, and he said, I was involved in everything in that local church. He said, if they would have let me be involved in the women missionary organization, I'd have joined it. I wanted to be involved in everything. The enthusiasm that we have at the beginning of our Christian life, and we must not allow that to grow faint in our life. We must continue to do good. R.C. Sproul says, the long wait for seed time to harvest can be discouraging. And we can grow disenchanted with our spiritual progress. In our dissatisfaction, we can tire to speed up, try to speed up the harvest, attempting to get holy faster by imposing extra rules upon ourselves and others while taking pride in our own rigorous and discipleship. See, we can be an impatient people. We're not to be impatient. We're to wait upon God's timing. God isn't saying that it's wrong to feel weary. I mean, if it was wrong to feel weary, we'd all, all here today say, well, I'm guilty of that. He is calling us not to be overtaken by our weariness. There's a difference there. Not to be overtaken by it. Do not let our good acts of love and obedience to Christ dry up in trying circumstances when they come. And they will come. See, it's easy for us to give up and live apart from this exhortation that Paul gives us here. But a true Christian will not be at peace with himself by sitting simply on the sideline. His heart will not allow it. You understand that? If you're a Christian, you understand that. You understand that you can't sit on the sideline. You want to be involved in the game. I had to sit on the sideline when I played football because I was not as good as the other football player. And it made me miserable. I wanted to be on the field. Well, it's the same way in the Christian life. You want to be on the field. You want to be involved in doing the good works that God has called you to do. Now, probably the worst enemy of enthusiasm is patience. See, a human being, as human beings, we have a remarkable and a sad capacity for getting tired of the wonderful things. All of us can think of something... We were very enthusiastic about it one time, but then the joy faded away. You know, that happens every year with children at Christmas time, right? I mean, they get that present, and man, the joy 
of that present. But what happens about three weeks later or even before that? They're not playing with that toy anymore, right? The enthusiasm has left. Or we as adults, the first day of our vacation on, on the beach possibly, and, and the sunset is breathtaking and makes you so happy that you could sing. Even if you can't sing, you want to sing. But by the end of your stay, you hardly even notice the sunset anymore. Listen to what John Piper says. Vacationers get tired of sunset. Millionaires get tired of money. Kids get tired of toys. And Christians get tired of doing good. At first, the excitement of teaching the Sunday school class was strong. And now you have grown weary of doing well. The thrill is gone. At first, you felt clean and strong by the Holy Spirit as you drove the van and as you taught the English class and, and led the small group and visited the newcomer and started reading the Bible and working in the emergency shelter. But now you have grown weary in doing well. The inner power and joy have steeped away. It's a chore. You've lost heart. That can happen. Now this doesn't mean that you can stop one job and start another. Remember, doing good is connected to the fruit bearing that we looked at there in chapter 5, verse 22. So do not grow weary in being patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-control. We aren't to grow weary in manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. We're not to grow weary in manifesting peace and, and joy and acts of love to our family and our neighbors and others. In other words, don't lose heart in using yourself through loving others. Those who stop sowing to the Spirit and sow to the flesh, Paul tells us what? Will not reap eternal life. But what? He says eternal corruption. See, they are like those in the parable of the souls. Remember the four different souls? The first three, they stopped. And they did not bring forth fruit. So the first three, they did not have eternal life. They, they revealed that they did not have eternal life because they gave up. Only that fourth one, which brought forth 30 60, 100 fold of fruit was truly converted. So Paul is speaking about the eternal consequences. Eternal life is at stake. Whether you go to heaven or hell depends on some, in some way on whether you grow weary in doing good or not. Do you see that? See, it says you will reap eternal life if you sow to the Spirit. That is, if you do not grow weary in doing good. This passage is not speaking about our salvation only, but eternal life. It is speaking about helping to bring the gent or those there at Galatia to final salvation, eternal life, as well as you and me, to understand what it means to have eternal life. As your pastor, I must be like Paul. I must follow his exhortation. I must proclaim his exhortation to call you to perseverance in doing well, to be faithful. 
so that you give evidence of eternal life. That you finish the race. Only those that finish the race are in Christ, have been truly converted. Now, I seek to be a faithful teacher to the Scriptures and to encourage you. I wouldn't be faithful to this task if I did not tell you that if you grow weary in doing well and lose heart, you will not reap eternal life. Now, that's not the words of Thomas Wynne. That's the words of what Paul says right here. You will not reap eternal life if you grow weary and faint. So, if you forsake the Spirit and rely upon the flesh, you will reap corruption, he says. Well, what's next? He says, finally, in due time. See, the believers at Galatia were faced with a tendency toward weariness. Now, that's not unusual. As I've already mentioned, a lot of us are faced with that temptation of weariness. So what do we do? Well, show patience. At God's appointed time, all our works in sanctification will be vindicated. That's a promise from God. Of course, it's when our Lord Jesus Christ returns when His holy people will inherit all that He has prepared for them. If you want a fall harvest, you must plant the seed at the appointed time, much earlier. My son was telling me that he planted seed of um, pumpkins. He said it took a hundred days. I didn't know it takes a hundred days. Some of you probably knew that. I didn't know it. Now I know it. A hundred days before they're... They would come up. Well, they're coming up all over the place. Wow, he did it at the appointed time and they're coming up. Likewise, we are to appoint, there's an appointed time that God has given us to do the things he's called us to do. If you sow to the Spirit in the proper season, you will reap holiness. So sowing begins when? Well, it begins for a Christian at conversion. And it lasts until his death. Now, of course, there will be those unique opportunities that the God gives us providentially to bring into our life, and we will receive immediate blessings. But we should also look for opportunities, and I thank God that we have members who are diligent, who do so much around this church, and most of you never see it. But it doesn't bother them. Because they're doing it unto the Lord. See? They don't want praise of men. They want praise from God, storing up treasures in heaven. And we give almost every single member an opportunity to do good. On our first Sunday, we ask you to bring a meal, and we have our cleanup crew. That's doing good for others here at the church. We have our hospitality meal that people are involved in, fixing a meal every Sunday for our, our visitors to be able to enjoy and us to be able to talk to them. And therefore, they are doing it unto the Lord. Now, Paul says what? You shall reap if you do not lose heart. See, there are rewards for God's children who do good if they do not lose heart. We see we should not be looking for the praise of men, but praise of God. 
but realize that we are able to store up treasures in heaven. And those treasures last forever. The treasures here on earth are temporary. I heard a story of a missionary who was returning from the mission field, retiring after 50 years of service. And, of course, back then, missionaries only came home a few times throughout their entire lifetime. Nowadays, missionaries come home quite often. But back then, uh, I know Lottie Moon only came home two times in the 40 years that she was a missionary to China. Well, this missionary was coming home on, on his ship. And when he came into the port, there was a great crowd cheering and he thought to himself, wow, how, how wonderful this is that they're welcoming me home after 50 years of ministry. Well, he did not realize that on the same ship was Teddy Roosevelt who had been on a hunting trip and was returning. And when he realized it, he was a little bit sad. And his wife said, honey, this is not your home. Your reward is to come. And how true that is. A lot of times we look for praise here on this earth, but this is not our home, folks. Don't think you're going to get praise from a lost world. You'll get praise when you come before the Lord and He, and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I mean, those are what we want to long to hear from Christ Himself. The thankfulness that we long for. Rewards will certainly be given to us in the proper season. And therefore we look for them if we do not grow faint in our duty. To reap in due season is ultimately picking of the crop in heavenly garden. Again, rewards is for those who persevere and do not lose heart. When Paul speaks about not losing heart, he doesn't mean being depressed or having an unstable attitude, but about the need to endure in this faithful posture for the good of the church, for the honor of Christ, for yourself, for, for your children, for Converts, especially those who are in your household of faith, he says. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6, verse 10 and through 12, For God is not unjust to forget your works and labors of love, so God doesn't forget them, which you have shown toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So therefore, we are to imitate those that have gone before us, men like Paul and men throughout history. And then therefore, our life should be a life also that people imitate us. That should be our desire. Matthew Henry comments on that particular verse there in Hebrews 6, 10 through 12. He says, For God is not unjust to forgive your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister, 
And we desire that each one of us show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those through faith, patience, inherit the promise. So therefore we must be faithful as he says there. Now finally, sowing to the Spirit means recognizing where the Spirit aims to produce some delicious fruit for the glory of God. We have to keep that in mind. It's not for us. It's for the glory of God. And He plants the seed so that it does produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Therefore, sowing to the Spirit also means supporting ministers and pastors and teachers and missionaries with funds. And the majority of this congregation is faithful to this task. The majority of this congregation are cheerful givers, and I'm so appreciative of that. And God, as a result, has done so much through this small church. Do you realize that the members of Grace Baptist Church gave over 60,000 to mission work last year to the Olive Aidas and to African Pastors Conference and, and Reformed Baptist Network and Ratio Christian and the SBC and, and three individual missionaries and, and a future missionary? Our church is reaching out and ministering to men who are used of God to proclaim the gospel. That's doing good work. Supporting them. And may we continue to be faithful in that duty as we spread the gospel throughout the world through missionaries and pastors. As Paul says, let us not grow weary in doing well. For in due season you shall reap. You shall reap what? Eternal life. In other words, you prove that you have eternal life if you do not faint. And realizing that you are storing up treasures in heavenly places. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this exhortation that we receive from Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit. And we pray, Father, that we would be faithful to this task that You have called us to. To do good. To do not grow weary. That in due season, we will reap a reward. And we pray, Father, that our ambition and doing good is to bring honor and glory to You in all that we do. And we pray, Father, that You would continue to use this church to bring honor and glory to Your name. We thank You for how You have used it in the past and how You're using it in the present and how You will use it in the future. And Father, that it would be evident to others that we love You and we love others by our actions. We pray, Father, for those that would be here this morning that do not have this desire in their heart, that you would place it there by changing their heart and making them a new creature so that they too 
might be a part of this, of doing good. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.